What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the I'm Getting There podcast. It's your host, Michael Booth, and I am back today. I got a first-time guest on the show, comedian and author Nina G. It was so cool to have her on the show. We talked about this project that she's been working on. I've been seeing um, posts about it's uh, about the history of the Bay Area comedy scene, and I, uh, you know, wanted to ask her some things about that. Which you know, just kind of the process of of you know going about that research and those things so it's cool to hear about that and also cool to hear about some of the shows she's been doing lately and also her uh her book that she has out now called stutter interrupted the comedian that almost didn't happen by nina g you can go get it on her website at www.ninagcomedian.com and go follow her on instagram at nina g comedian she is awesome i always enjoy talking to her and seeing her at shows and so, um, yeah, make sure to go follow her online. And also, if you could follow the podcast on Instagram at I'm Getting There Pod, all one word, I'll post and tag her in the uh, in the post when the episode comes out. And also, if you could just hit that subscribe button, hit that follow button, hit that plus button, add it to the shows, add me to your list of pods. So when I pop up, dude, if you're seeing other pods, you're like, whoa, dude, I'm listening to. All these other podcasts, but there's Michael right there in the mix. Yeah, I'm in the mix, dude. I'm getting there just like everybody else, man. So hit that subscribe button, hit that follow. Uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts, dude, leave us a leave me a review, dude. Leave me a review of the show. Uh, hit those stars. Hit those hit those stars right above the review. Gives that feedback, dude. Feedback's always sick, dude. Um, yeah, like subscribe, follow. Uh, you know. Hit up the Instagram, uh, hit up the Twitter at IGTPod. Got a Twitter going. Um, post links to the all the YouTube clips uh, or all Instagram videos that if you follow the Instagram you'll see. But I also post all those clips on my YouTube channel as well uh, at Michael Booth Comedy. So go, you know, if you want to, if you're on, a, if you're more of a YouTube person, they're there as well. You can follow them there. So yeah, uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for supporting the show. Um, if you want access to the private content, you can uh, hit that tip jar link in the description and become a recurring member to the podcast and you'll get access to the solo episodes and stuff where that, that's where I post uh, those and I do those um, a couple times a month. So, you know, go check, go check those out. Um, yeah. Thank you once again for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode with Nina G. I guess the first thing I wanted to ask you about, it's something that I keep seeing like you post about online and it's the, um, it's like the history of the San Francisco, uh, like Bay area comedy scene stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I find that to be like super interesting and I'm like curious how that kind of, how you go about collecting that information because it seems like such a, uh, just a really like, like the plate, like the starting point, just like, where do you even go? You know, like, how do you kind of like even tackle that? That just seemed that, like, that seemed really interesting to me. I, I think you tackle it by knowing you're not going to tackle it. 
like <laughs> knowing that. Okay, so the book is going to be published by History Press. Okay. And History Press, let me see if I can find. Oh, here, here's a good example here. When you don't clean your desk, there's a lot you can just kind of pull out. So this is actually the book that inspired it. This is a stand-up comedy in sh- 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 Chicago. Okay. And this is, um, like, these are the books with a ton of pictures in it. Which, yeah. Yeah, for those uh, listening to the podcast, totally inaccessible. But um, they have, an like, an offshoot, which is History Press. This is uh, our... Arcadia and history press. It's like half words, half pictures. So it's basically like a scrapbook with words and it's not a critique. It's not like we're not digging up dirt. Me and my Mm -hmm. co-writer OJ Patterson. It's just like, here's some of the highlights. Um, And to me, it's, it's, and the thesis of the book, at least in my eyes, is the Bay Area comedy has basically changed comedy forever and ever and ever. And we're better than L.A. We're better than New York. I don't want to say better than Chicago or Boston. But like like these second cities are the places where comics are able to develop their voice so really cool shit happens that may not happen in new york and la because there are producers and there's people in the business who have their eyes out all the time but in places like where we are you can grow as a comic and that is how paula poundstone grew as a comic and that is how dana carvey grew as a comic that is how robin williams grew and mort saul and phyllis diller wow and um yeah that's and that's how we changed comedy that's really cool like what were like when you when you were looking back at some of the at some of the stuff was there anything that was like really stuck out to you that was like kind of like crazy like a like a like a particular moment that like you said like it changed um it changed it for forever it seems like you know, I mean, there's just so much like um, Richard Pryor and a lot of people know, know this story, but he was at the Aladdin in like, I don't know, 1969 or something. And he's on stage and Dean Martin's in, in the audience and he's there performing. And this was when he was like a one-off from Bill Cosby mm-hmm. and who was a one-off from Dick Gregory and um but dick gregory like dick gregory was the guy you know bill cosby was um you know he he was influenced but i would have rather anyway i'm going too deep never mind never mind okay so richard Pryor is on stage and he looks out at this audience and says what the fuck am i doing here and he walks off Within time, he finds himself in Berkeley. He finds himself amongst intellectuals, black intellectuals at Cal. At, at, at Cal, he finds himself in you know like this free speech area. He, he finds himself amongst Black P- Panthers. 
and it's 1970-ish, mm. and he's doing clubs in the Bay Area. And he's having people, not like Dean Martin, perhaps the exact opposite of Dean Martin, in the audience to reflect the kind of comedy that he wanted to do, and also the kinds of values as an activist that he wanted to embody both, I believe, both in his work and in his standup. And that happened because he was in the Bay. That happened because of Oakland and Berkeley. And that would forever change comedy. And before him, it was Mort Saul, who got up on stage at the Hungry Eye and who developed himself there and developed like a free association. And it wasn't badum boom. It was intellectual jokes. It was jokes that, and, and it wasn't even jokes. Mm-hmm. It was critiques. And he would come up with like 40 new mi- minutes just based on the paper. Um, so, you, so you had him and then that changed modern comedy. Yeah, And then Lenny Bruce, the first place that Lenny Bruce ever headlined was San Francisco. The first place he was ever arrested was San Francisco. (laughs) And when he was arrested and tried, the lawyer said, listen, community standards help to define what's obscene. And if what's obscene... Um, it, if it's defined by the community, you're in the community of Broadway in San Francisco, which is strip clubs, yeah. which is the beatniks. And in court, at, at that point, the howl had already been seen as obscene because of its uh, sexual content. It's um, by Kerouac, I believe. Okay. And and City Lights was charged with that. And City Lights is right down the street from where Bruce was arrested. Mm. Then, a, then a Kitty Corner was the Condor Club, which is where Carol Dota was arrested and, 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 and then acquitted. And then Lady Bruce was arrested. And in the trial, they had cited those things. And then the cops had to say whether or not his performance turned turned them on because part of being obscene means that you're aroused and yeah no Benny Bruce talking about cocksuckers was not (laughs) a turn on for this guy would have been for me but not for him (laughs) that's so interesting I'm just thinking of it seems like it's a mixture of like all this what you're talking about this trend it seems like a mixture of like the the right kind of people around like while they're there like it always seems like that's kind of what leads to things being so big like you look at like in like the 90s in like the pacific northwest you know like grunge music and stuff that's kind of where that like it seems like the right people liked it too so they all flocked to it and that's so interesting to learn you know it's just like this area has always kind of been fostering like comedy that's just like really cool to learn. Yes. But what is fucked up now? Or or let me go back first to the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Pearl, I believe, when I interviewed him, he said that the 80s was the perfect storm. It was a perfect storm of comedy in the boom. It was a perfect storm of not having 
the LA and New York eyes on the comics here. It was a perfect storm of all this talent. Like if Robin Williams crashes your mic, you got to be good. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you have Paula Poundstone hosting your open mic. You got to be good. Mm-hmm. And so you have like these base people along with the economics. And the economics I think was really key because San Francisco could support artists. Yeah. They can't now. Yeah. And as long as artists cannot be supported, I have concerns for the art scenes that are going to be produced. And of course, comedy being art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we saw that even like, you know, the pandemic, especially we kind of saw, you know, how a lot of these, it kind of just shrunk down. Like what, what seemed like to be, you know, this the scene was kind of all over there was things everywhere now it kind of seems like it's it seems like it's kind of getting bigger but i do understand what you're saying totally it's like it's kind of you know especially with the pandemic you know even before that it felt like it was you know um people were talking about that too you know like the bay area being just so expensive to live in and to operate in and to do anything at all yeah yeah Yeah, and a lot of people have moved away and um, and I think things kind of just got tossed in the air d- during the pandemic. So we're kind of seeing how they're s- settling now. Yeah. Like, like, were you, did you kind of, uh, during the pandemic, did you move to, to zoom comedy like pretty quickly or were you, did you kind of sit around and wait for, to kind of see how it went? You know, I, I believe in practicing comedy and what, like, it took me so long to get here as a comic. I didn't start doing comedy till I was 35 and I, now I've been in it for 12 years, but I've always been a fan. I wanted to do it since I was 11 years old. Um, but because of my stuttering, I didn't engage in it until I was 35. Um, and so I take every opportunity I can to do comedy because I fucking love it it took me a long fucking time to get here nothing is going to fucking stop me yeah and yeah zoom isn't real comedy but it's all we had and for me i feel it's made me a better comic because one of the important things in comedy is to have conviction because there's gonna be plenty of times that performing to people with their arms crossed and nobody wants to hear you and you're complaining about Zoom? Come on. <laughs> At least you have some space from them. You know, you're not facing them directly. <laughs> but, and they're choosing to be there. Yeah. Like they could be watching YouTube. They could be doing anything. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's way more distraction in your own house than like a bar. <laughs> That's true. Um, yeah, uh, when you... Because I know that you also have... Um, you have another book that you've put out as well. Uh, and that, that kind of, you, you discuss like you, what you're talking about, you, you started comedy at 35, you kind of, in your book, you discuss some of that, right? Like you talk about kind of your starting out with that and, and like your, um, you know, kind of like the hardships, I guess. Um, and like, what, like, I know that I, cause I've seen you perform and I know that you go up there and you have like this stage presence and you kind of command you know like the the room like did that take a while for you to develop 
Um, or, or was that something you kind of like tried to get over quickly? Um, I think that when you stutter or when you have a disability, um, you kind of have to fake like you're comfortable a lot. And I'm sure this goes for a lot of other people in their experiences as well. Like, you know, it's like when I, when I walk to my car at night, I, I try to pretend I'm Joe Pesci in Goodfellas because it's like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll totally take a that's that's never going to happen. But I tried to embody that. Um, and so I think there was like a, I think I was old enough, mature enough, experienced enough to know that I had to fake it to a certain extent. Um, and then you eventually kind of um, the, then it becomes less and less faking, but mm. nonetheless that faking, because there's, you know, times always that I am afraid to get on stage. And as long as I can fake that confidence, that will help when I don't fake that confidence or when the audience or myself gets to me, that's when I bomb. And, um, so yeah, I, I've had to develop that in life, but then it helps me in comedy. And like with that too, um, like have because I noticed like you you have like a pretty good way of handling people, like that you know approach you or say things to you on stage. Like I I imagine that comes from as well, like you said, like it comes from just probably you know a lot of you know handling that or dealing with that um and yeah and that's kind of how i look at hecklers because i i love a heckler (laughs) uh and part of that is is that i feel like i'm someone who has a black belt in karate who just like walks down the street hoping somebody's gonna pick a fight so that they can just go off on them. Yeah. Like I have a black belt in hecklers since like third grade when I first started to stutter. So like I, I'm ready anytime, anywhere. Yeah. And anybody who does some stupid fucking stuttering joke, it's nothing compared to mine. You know, whenever it's like new people and like I always feel, you know, it's that thing about in prison you have to beat someone up on the first day so everyone else leaves you alone that's how i feel in every comedy community that i enter into like i have to lay it down so that they know they can't do anything and there's always the guy who's like after i go up it's like oh did your mom masturbate with a vibrator and that's how you stutter (laughs) yeah like i've never fucking heard that like come on and yeah, also, nice. like, your joke has to be funnier than my joke, and they're not. Yeah. And you have to, so yeah, but, yeah, if you're coming up to somebody, like, you've heard probably every single one of them that's ever been thought of, or you've probably had a bunch of people come up to you, like, you know, maybe if you try this, or if maybe if you try doing this, it, it might be, it might be helpful. And you're like, well, geez, we never thought of that. Way, knowing a foreign language, singing. My favorite one was once I did a presentation in a library and this was in comedy. This was like a professional thing. I was talking about learning the disabilities and technology. 
and this older woman came up to me afterwards and says, you are such an inspiration. If I talked like you, I wouldn't talk at all. I was like, whoa, that's like the funniest thing that's ever been said to me and <laughs> awful. <laughs> it was like such a back, that's a backhanded. It's like, wow, that was amazing. But also... I would be quiet. Oh. <laughs> also, you should be quiet, basically, is what she's... <laughs> and also, like, that is the most hilarious thing anyone's ever said, and no comic will ever be able to top that. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I'm really curious, like, did you... Was there a point where you're like, like, I need to write, a, like, about this experience, or were you kind of already like doing that and then decided like oh I should turn this into something was it was it kind of like just like logging it at first or or did you just kind of like have the idea I think it was like I have all this creative energy because of the pandemic and what I was finding in the pandemic was what was I watching and I was going down and watching like old old Bay Area comedy stuff like comedy tonight Mm -hmm. and like I was realizing how much certain comedians had impacted my views like I I don't know anybody's comedy now it's my it's my um brain in its 40s will not retain any comedy but I can call back comedy from the 80s but I forget who says Ted stuff. And like, I would go back and watch stuff. And I was like, oh, Mill Dable, who I've performed with, did these jokes. And these jokes have constructed how I see the world because I got them when I was imprinting at a, at, at a very particular age. Yeah. And so that relationship that I had with 80s comedy in San Francisco was really what kind of brought me to where I am as a person, to where I am as a comic. And no one's ever kind of, like, you, you it's, it's you young comics don't know where you come from. And I want you to know where you come from. <laughs> um, and, that, and you also think that you recreated everything, that like you, you just, these things just pop out of your head. Yeah. No, you lie on the shoulders and the unconscious, or the collective unconscious of comics from the 80s and the 70s and the 60s and that's why you're here so also just so that i could tell people like you that you don't know anything (laughs) (laughs) no it's really cool though because like yeah it's just uncut it's like you're piecing you're piecing stuff together i bet that like only a few people ever really have that maybe were around or like been curious like yourself and it's neat to to see these snapshots and i'm just excited to check it out you know when it's is it is it is it finished already or are you guys still working on it it is in the edit mode right now so it's being edited before it turns into the publisher but there's 120 20 pictures in it um so that go from Charlie Chaplin because he was in the um, Niles area doing his filming there for five of his films. Yeah, so the last scene in Ramp 
the last scene in the tramp where he's going down this road that's in fucking niles wow. so like and and what the woman at the silent film museum said was that charlie chaplin when he worked in niles people hated him hated him because he would walk around in his character all the time <laughs> on the streets, and he never tipped anybody and he would also go to baseball games in, in the area and he would go underneath the stands and pinch women's asses so if this is not the root of bay of, or like of all comedy but like <laughs> Oh my god! Between the sexual harassment and and just uh, annoying people who don't want to be involved in your comedy and involving them in your comedy, because we've all been to an open mic where we're yeah, having just, a conversation with the comic. I'm just thinking of being outside on the Blue Lagoon and just seeing Charlie Chaplin just walk by in character while you're in Santa. Like it sounds like somebody that you would see in Santa Cruz. Just like totally just walks by, does something weird. You're like, who's that guy? Like, <laughs> and, and then and then you see him uh, on stage. Yeah. You're like, oh, oh, I see. He's just trying to do this yeah. and that's so annoying <laughs> and that is our lineage it, if charlie chaplin was do, doing it back then in niles we're still doing it now and yeah. hopefully not pin, pinching asses or taking out dicks we should know better but yeah yeah i don't think i've yeah i like i'm glad there's that's not happening anymore because <laughs> like, <laughs> i bet yeah there was because you got to think like back then the chances that were you could take were like i feel like now that we know so much more and we've watched so much more and it's it's so much like it's directed more specifically towards you know like a like a structure and type um mm-hmm. i'm just you know i got imagine in that time like People, and there's no recording you or like nobody's like going into the newspaper like people were probably saying and doing just wild shit like yeah. just crazy yeah, wild totally. shit and it just wasn't being captured um and it wasn't until like the paparazzi really took over you know like yeah. and even then they knew not to report on M- M- Marilyn and JFK you know like there's still those places that yeah like that would be all over the place now that would be on like instagram there would be videos of them like pictures of them everywhere like every podcast would be talking like we would be talking about it we'd be like did you see jfk in maryland like (laughs) it would be just i mean just her being happy birthday was just totally crazy and could you imagine if that was played over and over and over and over and over again there would be memes of it there would be like Marilyn singing happy birthday to somebody else or like they'd swap they'd swap it so JFK is singing to Marilyn like that would be (laughs) that's the thing about the internet now is it's just like you have to really go find what's the what it actually is like what's the real um thing of it and because you can just yeah you can spend like it's it's just it's crazy to me how everything is like everything's categorized um like you just click on a sound on TikTok and you can just watch like a hundred, you know, just hundreds of videos of the same thing, but it's just like different and people, people do like it. it. Do 
Yeah. Like millions of people watch stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't even think people know what they're watching, to be honest, half the time. Because you just scroll, it just is the next video, and then the next video, and the next video. That you, you can just keep going. Like, it's not... <laughs> it's kind of intense. <laughs> uh, I, you have a show today, don't you? Uh, or, or did you already... Oh, I, yes, I had a college show at Bowling Green State University, and then I have a show in Oakland at Federation Brewery. Oh, so. nice. Mm-hmm. The, I've heard good things about Federation Brewing. That, that, like People have said that's a good place to, to perform it. Yeah, I performed there a couple times. This one's outside, so, you know, outside shows are always weird. Um they're always fun too so yeah that's true i i was doing uh i did the one in concord a a few weeks ago and the parking lot yeah yeah the tap house and uh yeah i was it was because i i you think there was like the there's like the deck and i was making a joke that i looked like wilson from uh, home improvement like I because he's the fence. <laughs> it's like instead of really instead of uh, instead of advice, I'm just telling you uh, dick jokes. But yeah, it was uh, it was fun though. I liked it a lot. As my one of my first times ever being up in Concord. It's like I've trying to be I've been trying to explore more of the area and get to know you know the people because it's so big. There's so many pockets of uh, of comedians and like shows and stuff all over this area. Well, and you know, and that is one of the things in writing the book, why San Francisco is such an important area is that like you have the comics in San Francisco who don't get out of San Francisco, but then you have the people who kind of go in and out of the different scenes, which has always been my preference mm-hmm. and going and performing in Salinas, which I'll be doing soon yes. and performing in Decto and performing in Ukiah in Santa Rosa and it just not being the immediate Bay Area and how that stretches you as a performer and as a writer as well. Yeah, like I, I felt that going from like from Santa Cruz to like the South Bay and doing shows in like to the San Jose area. And then like I've gotten to go up to the Bay area a few times and it's just, yeah, it's really interesting. Like these people are close there, you know, there's like this, just the next city over or it's like a couple towns over or something, but like what's funny and what's in like, what's like relevant is so different. And I agree with you that it like definitely makes you think and makes you kind of, you just have much more of an audience, you know, it's, it's just spread out more amongst people. And I've always found it to be interesting. Like what's funny in Salinas versus what's funny in like, you know, Fremont or something is there. Those are slightly different. I mean, it's, some of it's still relevant, but like you, you do have to kind of, uh, of like, you know, kind of tailor yourself to, to, you know, the specific of that area, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's one of the really important aspects that we have here. And if we can, nurture a scene that has that diffusion the it's a diffuseness Mm -hmm. i think it's really great yeah like it's cool it's cool to see you know 
people like yourself come to like Santa Cruz and like um, and you know people from like up north a little farther come down and because it's like there's cross-pollination like you said and then you know you get to know about other showcases and stuff and and you know that's the fun too is you just get like all of a sudden you meet all these people and they're hilarious and they're cool to you know hang with and you're like oh man like all these people are sick up here and this and you know it's just like this like a little pocket of of town you know and like yeah it's just it's really it's really cool i mean i like i I've noticed like back home where I'm from, there's kind of a similar thing, like the Tacoma and Seattle area. There's oh. like a, that's like, right. You're, you are Seattle. Okay. Cause that's what my husband is too. Like, like I hid this from sight cause I don't want to be associated. <laughs> oh yeah. That's, uh, it's funny when I moved here, that was something I noticed. It, it took a while to click in. I'd be like, every time I go to the store now, I just see San Francisco giants stuff like at Fred Meyer and I'm like why is that here and I'm like oh yeah because I'm in fucking the area that's the baseball team <laughs> I'm just like yeah yes. it had to click in like I just kept being like because I'm just used to seeing that exact logo everywhere so I'm like wait a minute why why is it 49ers and Giants and what's going on like <laughs> it was interesting at first mm-hmm. um the uh the um the show that you are doing or the show that you did the the bowling green show was that like for just the whole campus like it was like people could like just tune in that we're going to that uh we're going to the bowling green i guess yeah so it was an online show of course because i'm here in oakland now Mm -hmm. um and but i do a lot of college gigs and that's kind of been a really good focus for me, especially with the book. Like the book has helped me to get more of those gigs. And for example, I'm doing West, the University of West Virginia in a few weeks. And I'm actually going there and me and Dave is going with me. Oh, cool. Yeah, so being disabled comics because him in recovery counts under the Americans with the disabilities act especially in 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 college where i mean people in the disability world don't know that recovery counts as as a disability which then ensures the civil rights free from discrimination um and and you can get an accommodation especially in college where you might get priority registration so you can plan around the things that will take care of you Mm -hmm. um to maintain your sobriety so he comes at it from that way i come at it from a disability um from a, a a stuttering and dyslexia perspective and so it works out well so we do some comedy um, and then we do kind of a Q&A with the, with the audience and then also kind of talk about how to be a, an ally to each other. Because I think a lot of times people are like, I'm an ally. I'm going to put a sign in front of my house. It's like, ah, you're not doing anything. Yeah. Like actually like interact and actually like, you know, like, like advocate and actually like uh-huh. engage. Um, so it's really great for us to talk about it from a very personal as well as a sociological and psychological level as well. That's really cool. Um, 
And like, does, have you has had like positive responses and stuff like from? We have. There was one gig, and I won't say where it was. I'll tell you afterwards, though. Okay. Um, and it was a community college, and we had an amazing time. Like, it was in a theater. It was like at like forty percent capacity, which for a disability thing, like. If I just went in as like, I'm a professional speaker who stutters, nobody's coming. Mm -hmm. If I say I'm a comic who stutters, people are there. I might be doing the exact same show, but that comedian part gets the butts in the seat. So it's really good. And so me and Dave went to that. And then we had a meet and greet afterwards. And there was a professor there who was from communications. And this was a very liberal area. Mm -hmm. um, and the professor said, well, I'm coming here because some of the faculty have some concerns that a comedian is coming in talking about a vulnerable population. As if disability is that you can't make j jokes about it and yeah. that the disabled student office would bring in somebody who's going to like make fun of the, the yeah <laughs> like, like do you have no trust in the people that would be school? so wild <laughs> just <laughs> it's just so funny to think, think about like this <laughs> Like, just coming in and being like, yo, what's up, motherfuckers? <laughs> he just starts bashing everybody. That would be so crazy. Starts doing backflips on the stage like, look what you can't do. Like, holy shit. <laughs> then he went to the thing, and then he went to our thing, and he left early. He left early. No so way. And then he comes in and complains about it. And so, like, I have my doctorate. I've been around academics for fucking 20 years. I, and just like that black belt thing, I have a black belt in fucking with academia. Mm -hmm. And so I, I let him have it in very big words where I'm like, you know, like, it's really important that, that that the voices of disabled people are heard and comedy is one of those voices. And so I really like, oh, it fucking went off. And Dave just ate, ate, ate soup. <laughs> he had no idea that I was fucking this guy up. He was just there eating the free food. Um. <laughs> which is the, like that's a I can just picture that perfectly that's the best part it's just so funny he just probably looked up and was like just went right back to the soup and afterwards he's like oh I didn't I didn't realize like yeah. all that was going on I'm all oh yeah I mean like him having Facebook beef like this was like all that and so much more in person but using like these very academic terms yeah i mean that yeah that's that's ridiculous that yeah that's especially from a professor that seems more that seems like something if you were to tell me first and not tell me who said it i'd be like oh it's probably some like young student that doesn't understand what's going on and they felt like you were marginalizing people so they had to come and you know tell you that that you're bad but if it's yeah a professor that's just like man 
Well, and, and, and it's like such a parentification. It's like, well, these poor disabled people don't have, have like, um, they, they aren't able to talk for, for, for themselves. So we have to do it. And so many, many of the faculty have concerns, which just means like him and two other people. Yeah. Like, you know, just whatever. So. Uh, that's just. That's just, what you're talking that brings up like I saw that this there's this like game show coming out called The Activist. Have you seen this? Oh man. So there's this game show coming out called The Activist. Let me let me look up who's the judge. There's like and it sounds as bad as it is I'm you know I was just saying the activist that already is like okay this is going to be horrible. A game show, a game show and activism. Yeah, six inspiring activists work with three high-profile public figures to bring meaningful change to one of three vitally important causes, health, education, and the environment. So it's basically Trump show. It's like The Apprentice, but it's for... (laughs) It's The Apprentice for SJWs. (laughs) Very interesting. Uh, Yeah, and the judges are like these people that you're... Who judges? Who are the judges of that? You know. You know what? I will. To- I will be a judge on that show. This is my audition. I will be a judge on that show. I will. Yeah, I will. Shark take take the fuck out of that. Okay, so, it's uh, um, <laughs> it's okay. Usher's the first one. Um, and okay. then there's uh, Juliana Huff or Hoff. I think she's a country singer. Okay. And then somebody, okay. uh, I think it's Priyanka Chopra Jonas. Um, okay. Those are the three judges. But I'm just, okay. I'm like, I'm like, all right. It just, because I saw. Because I think of them when I think about activism. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think of Usher when I think of activism i just think of like i think of the song yeah "Yeah." (laughs) i think of oh my god yeah (laughs) oh you know i don't know anything about the show the show could be god's gift to activism um but anytime hollywood gets its hands in activism it doesn't you know it it like waters it down so yeah this is it's like they could have just taken like the mass singer and like put all the contestants in like costumes and then they just go and go- do good things and you're like, oh wow, that's a great person. Who is that? And then they, you know, look at them tweeting. Yeah, online. Or, like, activism. They're just out in like a costume helping people on the street and like, why is that guy being filmed? <laughs> they're all just wearing masks. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it would. I don't know how you like. What's the prize? That's what I. That's what when I was watching, I was like, the actors. What do you win? Do you just like get to join the Peace Corps now? Like, how does that work? Like, I just I don't know what the end goal is. Like, do you just win? Do you like? Do you win money that goes to charity? That should that should be the prize, right? Like your prize. Yeah, but the thing is, like, how are you supposed to maintain activism if you're if if you don't have money to live on? You know, like that is one of the things like my best paying gigs are the college gigs and I am giving something, something to them and they're giving something back to me. 
there is reciprocity and people can make money while maintaining their activist stances mm. um, and trying to put a voice to the issues that we want to talk about. And Richard Pryor being one of those people. And Dick Gregory also being one of those people, but also going in different directions there as well. Dave Chappelle. But nonetheless, when Hollywood gets a hold of it, who knows what's going to happen? That's true. I mean, you know, speaking of, you know, recipes uh, to, to Norm MacDonald, you know, I feel like he's somebody that we can throw into that conversation as well. Of like Hollywood getting a piece of something, especially like them getting Norm and then them just trying to like not let Norm be Norm. But what's great about him is that he like totally didn't let him. He like just didn't care. Yeah. And it was amazing. Like like you never you don't hear like the reactions that he would get on weekend update. You don't hear those same reactions on any of the weekend updates that you watch nowadays. It's not it's nowhere close. And like like the I was just watching a video of him this morning when he was on the view. And he goes on and says that Bill Clinton's a murderer. And then they're all like, shut up, shut up, Norm. Next question. Be They're like, be a good boy. And he's just smiling. And he's just like, you know, he's just trolling them. And, uh, like the, the balls it takes to to do that on TV. Like he just had, you know, he just didn't give a shit. And it was like one of the shit on it's just like everybody's been. It's cool that there's so many people have been saying such positive things about him, you know, yeah. even though he was like yeah. so controversial, like just all of the Internet has just been, you know, just appreciating him in the past few days. Well, and, you know, going back to our original conversation, the thing that I really re- what I really respected about him is he loved to stand up. He loved it, loved it, loved it, and he respected it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always really have a lot of respect to comics who um, know where they come from and and who engage in it in that way, who are true stand-ups, because there's so many who aren't. Yeah, and like, you know, like, you, like whatever... Whatever comic is loved this much by other comics, too, is always like, uh, you know, that's another, you know, kind of adds to what you're saying is like, like comedians were like the ones that were always like, you know, have you seen Norm? Have you heard of Norm? Like, did you, and like he, yeah, he's like, yeah, it's, it's just, and he, well, also I found out was interesting too, is that he didn't tell anybody that he was like struggling with, um, with cancer. Yeah. I think what I saw too is the same, yeah. And you know, and like, um, I was listening to him on M- 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 Marin the afternoon that I heard he passed, mm-hmm. and he was talking about death and talking about some of those things. And like, I wonder it'd be really interesting to go back and look at what his comedy was like the first year he learned that he had cancer, and then like how it went for him throughout that process to know how that experience had it influenced him. Yeah. Yeah. And like his set that he had with doing during COVID or right when COVID hit, when he was on stage and like making jokes about it and stuff still, you know, like to know that he was also struggling like with cancer yeah. at that time and just still going out there, you know, like 
and making jokes about it, you, you know, and I, I bet he's, he was probably actually pretty scared to get COVID, I imagine, like, you know, yeah, um, and, you know, just to, just to like, it just, yeah, he's just so awesome. And uh, it's just been, you know, it's been cool to see like how many people have just been coming out and like, you know, just praising him and stuff. Um, like, and also I've heard, I saw, I saw some people make some, some jokes right away. And I, I like, I'm thinking like, I knew that's what Norm would have wanted to probably. And so like some of the jokes been pretty funny and I, I, I've just been like, I just was like thinking I'm like, he would probably like get a laugh at that or something or make like a comment on it, you know, like, uh, and, and like even Bob, Bob, Bob Dole on Twitter. And I don't know if it was really Bob Dole, but Bob Dole who Norm played on Saturday night live had a quote, which was like, Bob Dole misses Norm. Or, you know, it was like something in the tone that, that Norm as Bob Dole would have said. Mm. So even like Bob Dole is making a joke to uh, honor him because there's just such a breadth of things that people could um, hold, hold on to. Yeah. Yeah. And <clears throat> yeah, it's just, uh, and like he, I didn't realize how many things he'd actually done. Like I was looking back over like his, um, just like all the stuff he's like in his career and you're, and it's like, it's like he, he had like what his own show at one point and then he had, uh, and he was on SNL and then he just like his special and all this other stuff and like the movies and just like, all the guest appearances like it's just yeah it's cool to even though he was kind of like you know he got outcast a little bit he still like his career still went on you know through all like the controversy that he had you know just because of how funny he was yeah yeah no it'd be so interesting to see how that cancer diagnosis and and treatment really um if it made him a, a little more brave you know, in, mm-hmm. in his comedy. Yeah. Like, yeah, he just, if he just was whatever, whatever he had inside that was holding him back before, if he was just like fully just like, I don't give a shit mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, that would be, that'd be interesting. Um, also, I was thinking like, I want to bring it back to this activist thing real quick. I also was thinking like, cause they had to pick contestants like I want to see like all the people that didn't make it. I'm sure, they're all good looking. Probably, all. but like, what's the crazy? I just want to. I I wish like it'd be cool to be a fly on the wall, and like the when they're picking people, just like I wonder like what they what they actually to make the decision on. They're like, well, you know, so and so has you know done a bunch of fundraisers through a church for years and years and you're like okay well yeah but over here you have um building um shelters in third world countries like what's the what's the real you know (laughs) oh i'm so glad you have that much confidence in the producers that you think it's actually based on good work (laughs) yeah i mean it's probably not at all i just think like if there was any sort of comparison like that i think it'd be funny to (laughs) These people have a social media presence and they're controversial. This one over here is like this. And I'm sure it's all based off of their bullshit Twitters and Instagrams and 
followers. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, and like, yeah, yeah, like compared to the the demographic they think they're going to hit with the show, like who already kind of falls into that. That is true. Um, There's there's things like that, like I noticed, like I've been just trying to like catch up on what's new. And I saw that like there's like these movies coming out that have like TikTok stars in them now. And there's like TikTok people getting roles in movies and becoming actors. And but then the movies are getting like a lot of views. And then it's just it's like something that's like it's like a, seeing an avalanche. You're just standing there and you're like, oh, shit, there's no like nothing you can do. Like it's already everything's already falling. Everything's already you're just like, fuck, like <laughs> like that's what it feels like seeing this stuff is like there's no way to stop it. There's no way to like not have it like it's real and you just have to accept it that it's real. And you're like, but and I guess it's like what I guess it's what's like part of. Like as you age, when like the new stuff, like newer and newer forms of media come out, and as you get older, you just start to look at it in a different light. Like it doesn't appeal to you even in the slightest, and you're kind of on the outside going like, "What the fuck is this shit? Like this yeah, is shit. Yeah. Like why do people like this? <laughs> it's crazy." Well, and, and that was my um, concern in the pandemic is that we would come out of the pandemic, and comedy clubs would just be booking t- TikTok stars who had 10 minutes and then nothing for, yeah. for for a half hour. And the features and the hosts would really have to carry them. So that is my prediction for the next year or two in comedy is more garbage headliners because they have a, a following and the local people are really going to have to carry it. Interesting. Yeah, like uh, I like I've seen too, like some bigger name actors that were like actors for a long time are now kind of doing um, stand up and like have and like, but they're getting they're getting like the headlining spots like you're saying on like getting like a full weekend, yeah. and you're like wow, like never heard of that person even doing comedy before, but now they have, you know, three nights at a at an improv or like a <clears throat> at like a laugh factory or something. And, you know, and like I, I saw Tom Green because um, I I really like Tom Green. I was actually on his show back in 1999 because he walked a bookcase uh, across the Golden Gate Bridge. And then uh, uh, online it said, come and welcome Tom Green to to the other side of the bridge. So I'm on there and I, I have a picture with him. Oh, nice. Um, but, and so I love Tom Green, but I saw him, um, and he was uh, like his stand up, uh, you know. And, and this was a few years back. I'm sure he's improved, but he has a relationship with the audience that carries him through his time. So even though he's not the strongest stand up, he relates to the audience. He loves them, and they love him. So it works out. But this is like, you know, 20 years of a relationship and shows Mm -hmm. and public access and MTV and talk shows. Somebody who is new to this, I I don't know if they have that much that they can carry. Yeah, like you, it's almost, it's like more of a spectacle than it is like an actual, like there for the, there for like you, because you know he's going to like crush it. Like it's... And I've been thinking about that too. Like, 
it is just a matter of getting in front of enough people and having your name and your face and your material and just being pushed out there to to enough people to you know to be able to like you know get like opportunity or have your voice be heard like you said like it's you know i realize all the time i feel like it's like man i feel like i've been you know getting out there and seeing people but then it's like you still just don't know anybody because it's just like you feel like it's just like just like through a rock in a pond you know it's like there's just so much out there and it's like yeah it's just never you never stop like never stop trying to get your face in front of people it's what it seems like Mm -hmm. yeah and also like i think so much in comedy we think there's like one way to go and there's so many ways that you can go that you know like there is something beyond club work there's something beyond local work like um that there are these other avenues because like i i do a lot of college shows Mm -hmm. and i don't mind doing a dive bar because there I can be an artist. But when I do a a college show, it is a set thing. I'm doing for 45 minutes. I'm doing Q and a, I'm doing these other things. Um, and they're both fun, but like you get a a different thing out of them. And from the college shows, I get paid. Well, Mm -hmm. the other ones, not so much, but nonetheless, there is where they, yeah, it's a, freedom is the big thing there in the art form. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just hope comics realize that they don't have to take the path everybody takes because that's not going to work for everybody. Um, and you need to figure out and you need to throw everything up against the wall so that you see what's going to work for you. That makes sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. Cause I mean, like there is so many different ways now it's like you can just create like so many different mediums of stuff like there's there's doing like stuff like this like podcasting there's making tiktok videos which you know I've seen some people in the bay area be pretty successful going that route mm-hmm. um and yeah it's like and all of that is just a culmination of of like you know just wanting to to see just get you to see you know yourself on get people to see you on stage and stuff um but uh, this has like been a really cool episode, by the way. I just want to say say that um, before before we wrap up here, like I want to say thank you for sitting down and doing this with me today. Um, and also, like, where can people follow you and 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 you know and check out everything that you have available online and stuff? Well, you could be one of my two thousand Twitter followers, oh, or shit. one of my. You know, if that, I don't know. And half of those I'm sure are Russian bots. Um, <laughs> but you can find me at Nina G comedian.com. And my book is to stutter interrupted.com. Okay. And also I have a children's book that I wrote with me, Dave. He is the illustrator and I am the author nice. and that's called once upon an, once upon an accommodation, a book about learning disabilities. So you could check that, that out as well. Cool. And is that also on the, uh, is that on the same, same website? Yes, okay, it's cool. all there. And as soon as I, get back my edits for um the book then probably that'll be out around april awesome okay 
Cool. Yeah, I'll put links um, to all that stuff in the episode description so that people listening can follow. Um, but yeah, thank you for coming on today and, and sharing. That was really awesome. And I'll look. For, I'm, thank I'll look you forward for to having me. And I always enjoy your presence at at Mike's in your comedy and hearing about what your roommate jerks off to. All of that. All of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, I think he's still. I think he's still on that train. I I, I haven't. Okay. I haven't shown him anything no. yet. Don't go there. Yeah. No. He, he, he does not need to see the things you have seen and now you can't unseen. That's true. Yeah. I'm saving him. That's that's what we'll say. That is your activism. You should be on that show. <laughs> that's, that's how we end it. That's amazing. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming out today. Okay. Take care, Michael. See ya. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Please make sure to like and subscribe on any platform you're on right now and head over to Instagram or Facebook. Give the page at I'm Getting There Pod a follow to continue to stay updated on this. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>